In today's episode, we continue talking about exegesis. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for listening to Preach Impediments, made possible by Eden Hollow. Check out what's being written and made available by going to EdenHollow.com. If you stayed tuned, at the end of the episode, we have a special offering for you that you'll want to hear about, so make sure you listen to the end of today's episode. Let's jump right in. Through the years, there's been a push for readers to practice what's called reader response interpretation. This is something you often see in the form in Bible classes of teachers asking, what does this text mean to you? Or what do you feel about this text? That's become so standard, I think, for most churches and most Bible classes that we don't even pick up on it anymore. But the idea of us redefining the Bible through the terms of what it means to us without us first doing the hard work of figuring out what it means, is dangerous. You see this a lot with the use of the Constitution over the years. I remember back just a few decades ago, there was a big push uh, that was a divide between the different political parties about how we should approach the Constitution and what was the right way to make sure that we were understanding the Constitution as it is supposed to be understood. A key term that was often used is that the Constitution is a living document. And basically what they meant by that is that the Constitution should be ever-changing, ever-growing, that it was a document that was intended not to be static, but a document that was intended to grow with its audience. Which means, as culture changed, so did the Constitution. And while the words might stay the same, the way that we understand those words should be changed based on our situation, our environment, or the social order of the day. It meant that the Constitution was supposed to be understood not by what it meant to the authors, but by what it means to the readers. And this allows the document to stay relevant despite the changes of culture. Well, I'm not a constitutionalist. I'm not somebody who is, uh, spends my days studying through the Constitution, but I do spend my days studying through the Bible. And the problem that I find with this method is that it makes the authority for the meaning of the document become the reader instead of the authority of the original writers of the document. So in the case of the Constitution, that means that I, modern-day American male, must be of greater authority and understanding than the American male that actually put pen to paper back when the Constitution was put down. Now, you might not have a problem with that when it comes to the Constitution, and that's fine. That's neither here nor there for the sake of today's podcast. But 
There is a problem with that when we do that with the Bible. Because that method of reading and interpretation assumes the author's ignorance of future circumstances and events. It assumes that the author does not have the wisdom or the knowledge to write a document that is applicable no matter what circumstances come. And so it is dangerous to do that when it comes to the Bible. Are we really going to claim that the Bible's authors were ignorant? And maybe we might claim that the individual men who put pen to paper were, but are we going to claim that the author of the Bible was ignorant of the future? You know, the Bible actually defines itself as a living document. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 say, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Notice here that while the Bible is living, it's also an instrument for judgment. It becomes the standard. It defines right and wrong. The Bible reveals to us what God says is truth and falsehood. Not we ourselves. We are not the standard of right and wrong and truth and falsehood. We are not smart enough to redefine the Bible in terms of modern day society and be able to say this is evil and this is good. That That is not within our power. It is not within our knowledge. It is not within our ability to, to think. We need the Bible to give us those definitions. But that also means that the Bible stays relevant without any reinterpretation on our part. Our goal is not to find ourselves and our opinions in the text, but to judge ourselves by the text. This goes back to what Marshall and I spoke about the other day. Our job is to practice exegesis, not eisegesis. Our job is to pull meaning and understanding out of the text instead of pull, put our meaning and our opinions into the text. And if we would do that, then we would do much, much better. You couple those ideas with a couple of other passages from the book of Hebrews, like Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, which says, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Or Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This idea that God is unchanging, that Jesus is the same as he's always been and always will be, that, that truth, because it comes from God, does not change. Well, then you've got a pretty good indication that God's word should be understood in pretty consistent ways. 
Now, this does not mean that we cannot better understand things, that there is a sense in which maybe we've misunderstood things in the past, and we need to constantly reevaluate our understanding to double-check that we are getting the right understanding from the text. That, that is something that honest students will do. But to constantly be looking for new understandings and understandings that reinterpret the Bible so that it is more acceptable to society or acceptable to our modern understandings of how life should work, well, that's dangerous because that's now making our society, our modern understandings, become the, the, the truth. That's not exegesis. That's placing our modern meaning into the text. That's eisegesis. And so that's dangerous. Now, it's well and good to say this is the goal. This is what we should do. We should always be trying to find the meaning out of the text instead of place our meaning into the text. But the difficult part becomes, how do we make sure that we're doing that? Practically, what does this look like? And a lot of different methods have been devised over the years. A lot of interpretive methods create rules as to how to approach the Bible and what we're supposed to do and what do we do with this case versus another case and how do we make sure that we're understanding things in their context. And and these rules are helpful and good. I, I'm going to give you one that I think is particularly helpful but just because this is the one that I might use doesn't mean that this is the one you must use. Again, we got to make sure that our goal is the same, that we understand the text. The method you go about using to do that is of much lesser importance than the actual genuine goal. But here's the one I like to use. I like to ask for what's, for what's of the text. Here they are. Number one, what does it say? Number two, what does it mean? Number three, what did it mean to its original audience? And number four, what does it mean to me? Now, let me make sure I explain each of these four questions so that you can understand what I mean. First of all, what does it say? You have to actually understand the words and the sentences that are used in the text. You're not going to get very far if you don't understand what the actual text says. So the first thing, what does it say? You have to actually be a diligent enough student to look that up. You might just open up the Bible and read a verse, but then you also need to read the context of that verse. And if there's a word in there that's an unfamiliar word, you might need to look that up in a dictionary. You might probably even need to look it up in a dictionary, a Bible dictionary, or a dictionary that would go back to the Greek or Hebrew of the text. But understanding what the text actually says is our first step. Then you have to put on your thinking cap and figure out what does it mean. And notice, I don't say what does it mean to me, or what do I think it means, it's what does it actually mean. And, and some might argue about whether that is possible or not. I would encourage you, just don't get complicated. 
Understanding what something means is typically not hard if you're not approaching it with some sort of agenda. So when the Bible says, love your enemies, which the Bible says multiple times, that's not hard to understand what that says. We know what love is. It's defined multiple times through Scripture. We know what enemies are. And so when it says, love your enemies, even though we might want to try to come up with exceptions to that rule, we might want to come up with ways in which we can re-understand that based on our circumstances. Well, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. Now, what it says, it means love your enemies, treat them well, do good things for them, hope for their best. All of those things would be wrapped up in the idea of loving your enemies. It's not hard to understand what that says, nor what it means. The third step would be, what did it mean to its original audience? What does it mean to its original audience? There are some passages of scripture that it's really not hard to understand what it means to its original audience, like, love your enemies. We know that they would have had plenty of enemies, whether you're talking Jew versus Gentile, Gentile versus Jew, whether you're talking about these common citizen versus the Roman Empire, uh, even personal enemies, somebody who has mistreated you. you know, that would have meant very similarly to what it means today. And so what does it mean to its original audience? There are other passages, though, that might have a particular meaning to its original audience that would sound somewhat different to today. You know, for instance... Revelation chapter 3 talks about the lukewarmness of the Laodiceans. And I've heard people misinterpret that passage when it says that I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. They're Jesus's word to the Laodicean. And I've heard people preach that this means God would rather you just turn your back on him entirely instead of being a lukewarm Christian. That is not what that passage means. To its original audience, the Laodicean, they would have understood the context of their two sources of water for their city coming from cities nearby. One came from a hot spring and one came from a cold spring but by the time the water was brought to the Laodiceans, it was lukewarm. It was gross. And so they wished for either the pure hot water from one city or the crisp cold water from the other city. They understood the idea of wanting water close to its source. Well, that, that's what Jesus is saying here. I wish you were close to your source again. I wish you were close to God again. He's not wanting them to turn their back from God. And so again, the original audience would have understood that very easily. I don't know that we always get that removed from that context. So sometimes it is helpful to go back and understand what the text would have meant to its original audience. The last question you've got to ask is, what does it mean to me? And again, that is a dangerous question because we're tempted to practice eisegesis when we ask that question. But on the tail end of these three other questions, you can see how this can be helpful. Really, this last question is, what is the application? So if I know what the text says, 
and I know what it means, and I know how the original audience would have understood it, it's not very hard for me to bridge the gap between their social context and my current social context. So go back to Revelation chapter 3. I can't say that God wants me to turn my back on him. The original audience would not have understood it that way. So when Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Really, the only possible interpretation and application for me to pull out of that is, am I lukewarm and am I risking being vomited out of Jesus's mouth, being disgusting to Jesus because of my lukewarmness? How do I change to be that hot spring close to the source water or that crisp cold water from the other spring? How do I get back to being that that impassioned and on fire, enthusiastic servant of Jesus? That's what it means to me. And so asking those questions will help us get to the bottom of the way we're supposed to live as Christians. Maybe a couple of examples could be helpful to us in this. You know, for instance, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, that gets printed on people's faces for football games where people want to argue that, yes, I can accomplish anything for Jesus. Well, the context there is I can be content even without material blessings, or I can be content with material blessing because my focus is not on the material things of life, but on serving Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 talks about faith and gives us a definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith, we know because of the rest of the chapter, involves action. It involves us acting on our belief. So I can't use Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to say all that matters is what you believe, is that you're convicted. No, conviction involves action. And you see that as you go through the chapter. Uh, So what does it say? Well, I understand the words. I understand their meaning. I understand to the original audience that the Hebrew writer was telling them stories from their history of, of people who trusted God. Well, then that means for me that I need to trust God and act on my faith in a way that brings him glory. You could do this with just about every passage of scripture. And I encourage you to. Because I think it would be very important for us to dig deeply into our faith, dig deeply into the text, and make sure that we're practicing exegesis and not eisegesis. I hope this has been helpful to you, and maybe it has caused you to go back and think through some passages you've struggled with over the years. Ask those four what's. What does it say? What does it mean? What did it mean to its original audience? And what does it mean to me? Maybe those four questions can help you if you're able to truly answer them honestly and with integrity and with a goal of learning what the text says, not what we want it to say. If this podcast has been helpful to you, uh, then go back and listen to previous episodes. There have been a lot of great interviews over this year so far on a lot of different topics. And uh, I think they will help you as you try to grow as a Christian. 
If we can cover a topic that we've not covered yet, reach out to us, preachimpediments.com, or look us up on Facebook, Preach Impediments, and we will get back with you as soon as we can and try to help you grow as a Christian. Until next time. We want to help you grow. And the best way we know to do that is to put good information in your hands and to help you interact with it. In order to do that, we've created the Interactive Supplement. This is a downloadable file that you can print and use as you listen to episodes of Preach Impediment. Interact with the text, interact with your own thoughts, and grow as you draw closer to Scripture and closer to God. The way to get the interactive supplement is to go to EdenHollow.com or PreachImpediments.com, and there you can sign up for our newsletter, which will have information about the interactive supplement, and we'll get that to you as soon as we can. We hope this helps you grow.